Welcome to Rooted. My name is Pastor Dusty Brackett at Liberty Church, and we are starting a new series in Rooted on the book of Colossians. Now, if you got a Bible, go ahead and find your spot there. We're going to kind of give an overview today about the main theme of Colossians and what we're going to be discussing. And you'll see throughout the video some slides that I drop in that'll help you understand and take notes on what we're talking about. If you're listening to this as a podcast, you can get those notes through emailing me at the church, and I'd be glad to give those to you. But either way, I hope you'll take your Bible and spend some time learning about the Word of God through the book of Colossians. Now, there is an indispensable principle of Bible study that I want you to get above anything else, and it applies not just to Colossians, but to every book in the Bible. And that indispensable principle of Bible study is helpless dependence upon the Holy Spirit. I don't care about your education or your intellect. If you don't have the aid of the Holy Spirit when you approach a book written by the Holy Spirit, then you will never understand the book. The Bible says the natural man cannot grasp the things of God, and naturally you're in your natural state. You need to be in a supernatural state, and that's only available through the Holy Spirit. Now, anything that makes you dependent on God is a good thing. So if you struggle intellectually, that's actually not a crutch. That's a blessing because it'll help you be dependent upon God. And if you are super smart, your IQ is off the chart, don't put confidence in those things. Put confidence in the aid of the Holy Spirit. Make that your indispensable principle of Bible study. So as we get into the book of Colossians, I want to give you a summary of the whole book. And we find that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. And at the very end of verse 18 is this phrase, that in all things he, Jesus, might have the preeminence. Now, what, what does the word preeminence mean? Well, pre means before, and eminence means to be, to be paramount, to be at the top, to be before all others. So if you're preeminent, you are before everyone else. Now, if you have a room full of people, many people can be prominent, but only one can be preeminent. And think about this in the terms of marriage. Does your wife want to be prominent in your life or does she want to be preeminent in your life? And Colossians is written to put Jesus Christ back in the position that he's to be in in our lives. That is the place of preeminence. Put it to you this way, that in all things Jesus Christ might be the one and only. Back to my marriage illustration. If I made a list of all the women in my life, and I came home and told my wife, look, you have the prominent position. You're in the number one spot of all the women I love. How would she take that? Oh, yeah, I'd be in a lot of trouble. I'd be sleeping on the couch if I had a wife at all because she's not interested in being number one of many in my life. She wants to be the only one. She wants to be preeminent in my life. And I would just remind you that Satan does not have a problem with you making Christ prominent in your life. He has a problem with you making Christ preeminent in your life. He hates it when Christ is preeminent. See, making Christ prominent but not preeminent is the devil's way of easing your conscience. Look at this graph that I have here. I have two circles here. One, the center is in the dead center. The black dot is in the dead center of the circle. The other, it's in the circle. It's just not in the dead center. And most of us live our Christian life just like that. We have Christ in our lives, 
He's awful close to the middle. He's prominent. We go to church every week. We read our Bibles. We tithe. We do all of the things that are expected of us as Christians. But to say that Christ is our one and only, most of us can't say that. And the book of Colossians is to bring us back to that place and is designed to make us a one-center Christian. And that one center is making Christ preeminent. Now, there's a lot of books in the Bible that talk about these things, about making Christ preeminent. But Colossians drives it home more than any other book. If you ever read the book of Revelation, in the first part of it, where he is talking to the churches, in Revelation chapter 2, he comes to this church at Ephesus, and he tells them some good things in their life, and then he says he has one thing against them. Do you know what that one thing is? He said they have left their first love. Jesus Christ was no longer their one and only. He was one of many. And God's not interested in first place in your life. That's a lie. God wants every place in your life. He wants the position of preeminence. And Satan will allow us to ease our conscience by making Jesus Christ prominent without making him preeminent. Now, there's a difference in having rough edges that God needs to work on in your life and being off-center. There are a lot of good people I know who would, we would all say, hey, those are good Christians, but there's an off-centeredness about their life. They are not giving Christ the place of preeminence. How do, how do we know this? How can you detect it in your life? Well, one of the ways is, you know, what you talk about, what you think about, where your money's spent, uh, the things that you're passionate about, the loves of your life. Is Jesus Christ preeminent in those things? I'll be candid with you. I know a lot of people who are so into sports that their sports team is preeminent. It's how they dress. It's what they talk about. Football season is the best time of their life. They just exist there. And Christ is not preeminent. Clemson is or South Carolina is or whatever the team you may be. And I'm not against football. I like football. But you can't make it preeminent in my life. It can be prominent, but only Christ can be preeminent. And Satan will let you put lots of good things in your life. And put them in the center of your life, as long as you don't make Christ the center of your life. Because good things become bad things when they're preeminent. Only Christ can be preeminent and it be a good thing. And so all the things sometimes that come along in your life that you think I'm going to get invested in, I'm going to get involved in these things, and they become kind of the legacy that I'm leading, the token that I'm leading, be careful. Because sometimes those things are dangerous things because they are subtle attempts by Satan to get you off-center so that Christ is not preeminent. I've been to churches before where missions, soul-winning, was preeminent. Is soul-winning a good thing? Oh, soul-winning is an awesome thing. But it shouldn't be preeminent. It should just be prominent. Christ must be preeminent. And if soul-winning and missions is preeminent, then that church is off-center. I know some churches and some Christians who make prayer preeminent in their life. Is prayer a necessary thing? Oh, it's vital to the Christian growth. But prayer in itself as an exercise cannot be the center. It can be prominent, but it must not be preeminent. And if I find my strength, my solace just in the action of prayer rather than to the God to whom I am praying, then it may have a place of preeminence in my life. I... Uh, it's, it's a humorous and a sad way sometimes when I watch the news and somebody will be going through something. And someone I know who's not a believer will say, uh, we're praying for them. or We all should pray. Pray for our nation. Well, let me ask you something. 
to whom should you pray? Because there's no power in prayer. I'm going to say it again. There's no power in prayer other than maybe the psychological exercise of you doing something. The power is in the person to whom you're praying. That's making Christ preeminent. There's no power in prayer. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, don't pray for me. Prayers to Allah, they don't, they don't mean anything. Prayers to Buddha, they don't mean anything. All of the things in other religions, all that power of prayer, that doesn't do anything. The energy and things that come from, no, that's all off-center. Make Christ preeminent, make him center. And then your prayer life has the right objective. It has Jesus Christ. I know some people who make their family preeminent. Their family unit becomes preeminent. It becomes the center of their existence, and it becomes an idol in their life, so much so that doing things as a family trumps doing things that they're supposed to be doing as a Christian. In other words, if you have this idea of Sunday, fun day, so, so much so that you're missing church all the time to spend time with your family, that's not a proper substitute. That's putting family as preeminent instead of Christ as preeminent. Now, I'm not opposed to people missing occasionally because they're off on trips and doing these things. But if your kids know a whole lot more about Sunday fun day than they know about Sunday school and Jesus Christ and going to church and fellowship with other believers, then your family has taken a place of preeminence instead of just a place of prominence. And it's an idol. And anything I put in place of Jesus Christ is an idol in my life. If Christ is not preeminent, then I am idolatrous. I know, that's a harsh statement, but it's the truth. If Christ is not preeminent, then I am idolatrous because something else is preeminent in my life instead of just being prominent, and it's a dangerous thing. I grew up in a super strict home, which I've told you about before, and um, standards were a big part of our home about the way we were allowed to dress, what we listened to, what we watched, what we read, who we hang around, who we hung around, the rules of our home we're all very strict. And I, I do thank God for those things. I don't hold all of those positions anymore. Some of them I do, but not all of them. And, but I thank God for giving me that foundation. But for many Christians, their standards are preeminent. I know people who are who have a negative spirit that just angry at people, judgmental, but their wife don't wear pants and they don't go to the movies. And so therefore they think they're holy because they have these standards. If standards are preeminent, if that's the first thing that comes to your mind when you see a guy that has hair touching his ears or you see somebody who doesn't meet your standard of things, then maybe they're preeminent, and Christ is not. He's not. See, I, I, I grew up in the culture of almost no one when I was growing up as a teenager had tattoos. Almost no one. Now, most of the people my kids' age, and including some of my kids, have tattoos, and their generation doesn't think anything about it. And I know the verse that you can go to in, in the Old Testament about marking your body for the dead and those things. And, that, and that's fine if you interpret it that way. I'm not giving you my opinion one more or the other. But if that's the first thing you see when you see an individual, maybe your standards have become preeminent instead of Christ becoming preeminent. Because the first thing you should see is not the fact that their nose is pierced or they have a gauge in their ear or they have two tattoos. The first thing you should see is that eternal soul that's there that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save because maybe they're lost. And they might not be lost just because they have those things. Once again, we're judging things by our standards, not by the Word of God. Those things have taken a preeminence. And so don't let your striving for a life of holiness be preeminent in your life because 
If it is, you'll just get proud and you'll get judgmental and you'll get difficult to live around. See, the Bible tells us that that meek and quiet spirit, that humility of Christ, he is meek and lowly. Those are the things that are supposed to be the, the outgrowth of Christ in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is not standards. It's not. It's not holiness. It's not even in the list. Love. That's the parent of which all the others grow. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, temperance, faith, goodness. There's no law against these things. And none of those things do you see anything about the standards of the holiness. So make sure that when Christ is preeminent, we will be holy and righteous. But that is not the focus. Jesus Christ is the focus of these things. And many good things can come into our life and lead us astray if we allow them and allow us to get off center. So there are only two times in the Word of God that the word preeminence is used in Scripture. Only two times. Only two times. Can you think of what they might be? Here's a slide that talks about it. First is Colossians 1.18, that Christ might have preeminence in all things. The second one is in 3 John chapter 9, where it says that Diotrephes loves to have the preeminence among the brethren. Speaking of a position of pride. Let me just go ahead and put it to you this way. There's only two people that can have the preeminence in your life. Christ or Diotrephes. Who's Diotrephes in my life? It's your old flesh. It's the old man. It's you, that sinful nature that you have. It's that proud self. Either Christ is preeminent or you're preeminent, Diotrephes. And if you're preeminent, then God wants nothing to do with you because his goal is to make Christ preeminent in all things. And so as we begin our study of the book of Colossians, I want you to look for ways that Christ is preeminent. We're going to talk about at least five different ways where Christ is preeminent as we view this book. He is preeminent in creation. He is preeminent in redemption. He is preeminent in the church. He is preeminent in wisdom and education. And then he is preeminent in worship. Those are going to take place primarily in the first two chapters, one and two of Colossians. We only got four. And then the last two chapters, three and four, will be the practical application of Christ's preeminence. Now, we have to make some clarity a little bit. I'm just going to give you this terminology, and we're going to discuss it more in detail. This is kind of my introductory video or podcast about the book of Colossians. And so I'm not going to go into this depth because it'll take another lesson altogether in this video. So we're going to go forward with it next time. But the book of Colossians is combating an evil, an insidious evil that was growing in the early church, and it's the evil of Gnosticism. Now, if you don't know what that word means, go look it up. By the way, it starts with a G, not with an N, and it has to do with knowledge, and that's the root Greek word that it comes from. And there are three books primarily in the New Testament that deal with Gnosticism, Colossians, and 1 Timothy and 1 John. All of them deal with it in various ways, but most of them don't say the word. They don't, they don't give you the word. You just pick up on the clues because of the things they're combating. And next time we're together, I'll give you a definition of Gnosticism. It's not the easiest thing to define, but think of it in these terms. And then I'll let stop this video and we'll discuss it next time. Have you ever been somewhere and they served you hash? What is hash? Hash is a little bit of everything all mixed together. Kind of has a potato base sometimes or maybe a venison base or some kind of meat base and they add other things in there and you kind of get this hodgepodge of things. 
Sometimes my wife talks about the fact that we're going to clean out the refrigerator. It's kind of a leftover night. And we've got to mix things together and make up some kind of some kind of hash or porridge and whatever you want to call it. I don't call it porridge at home. I get in trouble for that. But a, a casserole, just a hodgepodge of things all put together. Gnosticism has an element of that. It takes from Eastern religions, it takes from Christianity, it takes from Judaism, and it puts these things together and comes up with this secret knowledge that only the enlightened possess. And let me just remind you, anytime somebody comes to you with the idea that they have something secret that they have found in the Bible, that there's codes in the Bible, that there's a, a secret that only these enlightened people can get, be careful. That's always an error because God makes things plain in Scripture. And as I love to say it, and I got it from Mr. Frank Sells, an old Bible teacher, main things are plain things. There is no secret code that God is trying to get across to those who are initiated in the ability to take these things. And you poor people who don't have the intellectual knowledge to be able to do this just have to suffer or come to me and I'll impart to you the words of life. That particular attitude is the attitude that Paul is fighting against in the book of Colossians and in the book of First Timothy and John is combating in First John. It's the natural pride, intellectual pride of our hearts and it seeks to elevate ourselves and not make Christ preeminent. And so when you think of hash, think of Gnosticism. And next time we're together, we'll discuss that in more detail. But as we close this time together, I want you to think about this fact. Who's preeminent in your life? Christ or Diotrephes? Jesus or you? I mean, what could we take out of your life and your life not really change? If you lost your Bible, if you quit going to church, would your life change? I'm shooting these videos during the coronavirus, and there are some people who have quit church altogether. And it just shows that Christ was not preeminent in their life. It's not rooted in the avoidance of the corona. It's just that it was an opportunistic time to readjust the values that they really have. They're hard to do what they want to do. Who's first place in your life? Who has that place of preeminence? Not just first place. I misspoke that. Every place. Who's preeminent? Don't make anything preeminent with Jesus Christ. Make lots of good things prominent, but don't give them the place of preeminence. Thank you for watching this video. If you're watching the video, make sure you share it on Facebook. Let other people know about it on YouTube. And if you're listening to the podcast, thank you for listening. Try to produce one of these about every week as we work our way through Colossians. It's only four chapters, so it won't take us that long to get through it. But if we can get the message of it, it'll transform our lives. My name is Pastor Dusty Brackett, Liberty Church. This is Richard.